This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, I know that some parts of the, the world are coming out of their um, out of their quarantine. The, the world is slowly opening back up. It hasn't happened here yet, but it's happening for some. And I just want to warn you, I know that when you're exiting your, your domicile for the first time in a long time, it could be tempting to look. But I want to warn you, do not look for your shadow because the last thing anyone wants right now is six more weeks of quarantine. Oh my goodness. I hope that you're well. And all you dads out there, I hope that you have had the forethought to have your kids make something for your wife for Mother's Day because they're not doing the projects at school right now. That's right. You've got them at home. Make sure you've got, you still got a little bit of time. Happens tomorrow morning. Uh, you still have time to, uh, to make sure that your wife's Mother's Day is one to remember. This is going to be an interesting Mother's Day for us because it's the first one in recent memory that I'm actually going to be able to celebrate Mother's Day on Mother's Day. Uh, last several years, I've been working in a parish. And so, um, you know, that's a work day. Sunday is the day that you got to be doing things and making sure that everything, all the programs are flowing smoothly and everything's where it needs to be. Uh, and so that means that you don't get to be at home and you don't get to be really focusing on her celebration. So we always try to do it early or a little bit late, but it was never on Mother's Day. And no matter how you slice it, it just, it, it didn't sit well. You know, she, she knew it had to happen, but it was never a fun thing. So this year we're going to go all out and do uh, Mother's Day things because quarantine has given us this new opportunity uh, that we've not had in previous years. And, you know, that, that really has happened across the board as people are finding uh, the blessings uh, that come with the quarantine. There's a lot to look at, and it's easy to be overwhelmed by all the negative things we see in the press, all the negative things we see about uh, being isolated and social distanced. But I've seen a lot of people really beginning to explore their interests, beginning to look at uh, projects that they've always wanted to do or things that they've always wanted to explore or books that they've always wanted to read. And they're taking this opportunity, many of them, to dive into this. Uh, I am on social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Those of you who have listened to the show for any time, you could probably say it with me. You can find all the stuff for the show over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And I do hang out there from time to time. And one of the things that I have seen crossing both of the Facebook feed and the uh, the Twitter timeline is um, a lot of projects. I've seen people making uh, making bread, so much bread, uh, making cakes, making you know uh, all kinds of you know doing home repairs. Uh, there's a cool thing out there that is uh, kind of a meme that's blown up called uh, Tensegrity tables that that are tables that are uh, weight-bearing, but they're, they are they look like they defy gravity. So you go look that up, Tensegrity Tables. All kinds of people are doing things with their hands and exploring uh, 
the world around them and, and exploring their interests. And this is a good time for that. And I think it's also a good time for us to evaluate how we spend our leisure time. Are we spending it well? Uh, I know that uh, that I was not spending my leisure time well, but this is something we talked about over over Lent. My Lenten sacrifice this year was one that that on the face of it was simpler than I have done in previous years. I gave up watching TV in the evening after the kids went to bed because I, I recognized that there was something better that I wanted than uh, than the relaxation that I got from sitting and watching TV and talking about nothing. Uh, there was a, a deeper relationship with my wife that was waiting for me to take that same time that I would normally give to TV and give it to my wife in conversation. Now, quarantine, of course, interrupted that and uh, and really kind of magnified our opportunity. And for many of us, we still have this opportunity to explore how we spend our time. Are we getting the the greatest return for the the time that is being spent? And so that's going to be a little bit of what we talk about today. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking with Samuel Jennings, who's a fellow at the Survey Institute, surveyokc.org. And we're going to talk about a project that he's got that uh, that started before quarantine, but certainly is um, is blossoming during quarantine as uh, as the time is there to do this kind of work. So I want to know what your projects have been. What have you been doing during this quarantine that you maybe you uh, are surprised by, you didn't expect? Uh, what kind of things have you been producing? Are you doing, a lot of people are picking up podcasting, they're picking up video streaming. I, I myself have started live streaming uh, Compline and Morning Prayer every day. So twice a day, I'm doing a live stream uh, at 8 a.m. Central and 11 p.m. Central. Every day on Facebook, I'm doing a live stream. Other people have, have found other creative outlets. But one of the things that I have noticed is that many of the tasks, I would say all, but there's always going to be an exception. Many of the things that people have begun to do have tangible output, right? You can look at it and say, I did a thing and here's the thing I did. And uh, and I'm fascinated by that because that's not necessarily how the rest of our life goes. And yet right now, as we are prevented from being with one another uh, and many still in many places here in the United States, as we have to social distance, as we um, many of us are quarantined and not going into work and our businesses are closed, um, it, it's interesting to see what kinds of things we occupy ourselves with. What kind of busyness do we get ourselves into in order to pass the time or to, uh, to, f- to keep our mind sharp and focused and not just uh, spinning around and worrying or not, not getting to a place where, um, where we just kind of shut down. It's interesting to see what people do. And so, I want to see precisely what it is that you have been busying yourself with during quarantine. And uh, and what I'd love to see is if it is a tangible thing, put a picture of it up. Put a picture of it up on social media, your social media, and uh, and leave the, uh, the hashtag quarantine craft, hashtag quarantine craft, 
uh, it, post it on your social media and tag me in it. Again, that's uh, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. I want to know what it is that you're doing and don't just take the picture. Tell me a little bit about it. Why is this the thing that you are drawn to? I can tell you for me, I, I love doing the live stream because I love connecting with people and it's really hard to connect with people when you are social distance and quarantined. Uh, and so I've really taken to this, um, this praying of morning prayer and Compline because it gives me the opportunity to do some of the things that I enjoy, uh, to, to pray, to, uh, to present and to engage and interact. Uh, and so if you've not yet found those live streams, I want to invite you to be a part of those. Uh, again, the live streams are all at Facebook. I don't do any live streams on Twitter as of yet because uh, I'm still uh, new at this. So facebook.com slash step outside the walls forward slash live. Now, in addition to all of the um, all of the practical and, and crafty things that people are doing, uh, there's some other stuff that is a shared and common experience as well. Uh, there are a lot of people who are going through economic distress right now. And so I want to take uh, a moment to remind you and encourage you to be praying for all of those who are negatively impacted by the quarantine, whether it be because they have experienced loss of income or loss of a job or loss of health or loss of a loved one. This kind of loss is profound and, and has the, the possibility to leave lasting impact. Uh, and this is something that um, that I've been praying for pretty steadily because I found out earlier in the year that my position at the parish that I've been working at is going away at the end of the fiscal year. Uh, and there's financial issues that are behind that, but that means that I, the place that I have been, the parish that I've called home, the people that I've loved for the last uh, two years are not going to be a daily part of my life anymore as we have to find a new way to be. Now, if you listen to the show for any length of time, you know that the concept of, in the book, abandonment to divine providence is something that I truly believe in. Um, God has always been faithful. We look to him uh, in prayer. We, we recount all his marvelous deeds. This is something we talk about in the Liturgy of the Hours quite a bit as well. And so I have complete confidence in his provision and in his activity within my life. And so we spent a little bit extra time in prayer. We've spent some time searching the scriptures and waiting and sitting in silence and listening for the voice of God. And thankfully, um, that God has come through. And so we, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be um, packing up the house. We're actually already starting to pack up the house and have an opportunity to, uh, to further the kingdom, I'll say, up about an hour and a half north of here staying in beautiful Washington state. Now that's not going to affect the show at all. We're going to keep doing this just like we always do because I love doing this. But anytime there's a move, there's stress and there's uh, both emotional stress and financial stress. So I want to invite you, if you love the show and you've been thinking, you know, I keep hearing about that Patreon thing. Uh, and one of these days, maybe I'll do that. Well, this is the day to do it. It would be a huge help for us as we make this transition. Uh, for as little as $5 a month, you get access to our entire archive of extra segments and extra goodies. And if that's something that's intrigued you and you just haven't found the time to do it, 
I want to invite you to do that now because one, I'd love to have you be a part of the support community, but two, it would be a great help as we make this move. So go over to OutsideTheWalls.com and click the Patreon link. Well, let's join a conversation now that I have with Samuel Jennings. Last Friday, uh, he's a fellow at the Survey Institute, and he talked with me about how we choose to spend our leisure time. You can find more information about the Survey Institute by going to surveyokc.org or on Twitter at surveyokc. The Survey Institute is a consulting and advocacy group uh, helping push the boundaries and define what it means for us to have a truly Catholic education, not just for our kids, not just for our college students, but for us as Catholics. We're here in the middle of this um, this stay-at-home order for us in, uh, in Seattle at the very least. It's continuing on past May 4th. I know that some states are beginning to open back up. But it raises a whole bunch of questions uh, that that I want to talk with you about today, Sam, Uh, some of which being the question of supply chain. We've become very dependent as a nation as we have begun to push further and further on our interdependence with with the the world community, uh, push our supply further and further away from us. You know, I can pick up a pineapple today if I wanted to. It doesn't matter that they don't grow around here. It doesn't matter if they're in season. I can get one. Uh, and so we typically, uh, in, in an American household, think of food as the thing that we go to the store and we pick up, and it's always available. It just magically replenishes, and, and I don't have to worry whether or not um, I have any connection to my food. And so that's, that's something that the church calls us to look at. I know that this doesn't seem like a question of faith, but it is, because the church has this policy, this, these two principles— uh, that we base a lot of our decision-making on, of solidarity, saying, hey, we're all in this together, and subsidiarity. Let's keep things as local as possible. If a local thing can handle it, let's let the local thing handle it before we push it up further into this larger, overarching, universal thing. So I want to talk about that a little bit with you uh, based on a project that you're doing um, where you get your hands a little bit dirty, Let's talk about this. Sam, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's it's really great to be here and to get a chance to talk about uh, Survey Institute and our urban village garden in North Tulsa. So the the we had this thing growing up in one of our uh, flower beds, and it was this poem on a wrought iron something, and it said, uh, the, the kiss of the sun for pardon, the song of the bird for mirth, one is closer to God's heart in a garden than anywhere else on earth. I want to know, first of all, uh, is that true? And if so, uh, how have you experienced that? What have you found in that regard? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great quote, Timothy. I don't, I don't know if I can match that. Uh, I can certainly attest to its truth. My impression is that most of your listeners can too, is that there's just something deeply natural, something deeply right, correct about getting your hands dirty, particularly with your family in community and working on a community plot of land, even if it's just a garden or a rose bed or or what have you. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that, uh, that I look at in all of this, I've seen a couple of people say, let's bring back the victory garden. Let's uh, which was this world war two thing of, Hey, 
um, protect the supply chain, protect uh, our, our families by planting a garden. And that's a way that we help uh, the war effort, which at that time was right. first and foremost. Um, we obviously were, are not in the middle of a war effort, uh, but there is this push to, to get back to our connection with food. I've seen a whole bunch of people in quarantine say, I'm going to start baking bread or there's uh, the sourdough starters. You, you see people getting more <laughs> creative and more in touch with their food, uh, a society that probably largely has, has been restaurant fed uh, right. or, or um, instant dinner fed. And now they're going and actually connecting a little bit with the food. Talk a little bit about what is this urban garden project What's behind it and how can this be the next step in someone who's trying to find a, a stronger connection to their uh, to their sustenance? Well, it's it's quite incredible. The first thing I'll say is that this project began some months before anybody had heard of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And the reason that Survey decided to invest in building a community garden together is because it's it's a deep need that just about every family that we encounter through our education and advocacy work need is some way to integrate their life of faith, their life of prayer with things that they have to do as families anyway. So one of the things that families have to do anyway is you know, get children busy, find them something productive to do. You know this very well yourself. Mm -hmm. Being able to have a community garden where you can both give your children something valuable to do that they can turn to at the end of the day. It's not a worksheet. And so if you did that mm -hmm. and better yet, uh, another family member or, or another, another family taught you how to do it. So you're gathering together to, to grow a common product. There's nothing like it. And, and so, so starting with our, our garden in Tulsa, one thing I'll say is when we decided to launch this garden initiative, our first day, we had six people come, six different families come to, to start to plant the garden, plant the orchard. And just the act of those families getting together, doing a little bit of digging, a little bit of brush clearing, the number of neighbors that came out and were interested and then started positing their own local knowledge and lore about Aunt Sally back in the 70s, had grapes growing back here. It became a center not only for community, but it became a, a center for, for people to gather in, start telling stories about the neighborhood. So just in that one day, like you could just see, you could see a neighborhood start to build. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're all about there. Yeah. You know, I, I think of um, how we have so taken our economy into yep. a knowledge-based economy and a, and a skills-based economy. And so you, you go and you, you do your work and it's all in your head or it's all on a screen. And at the end of the day, um, what you have to look at is abstract. Yes. And so there's something... I think very appealing and the, the saints would also point to this. I, I think very much, I have a very strong Benedictine spirituality and, and the Benedictines have this very strong sense of place uh, and, and of cultivation. And so at the end of the day, you can look at a garden you tilled and you actually see something tangible that's been accomplished 
that you don't get in the same way in a knowledge-based economy or, or where you have worked on a project that in many ways is intangible? We, we like to call the, the place where those meet the abstract projects or the knowledge-based economy or the learning that we do in our leisure time. Um, and, and there's other projects that sometimes we, we don't look kindly on as a society. We like to think that those things belong together as an integration of the liberal and practical arts. So at once you're, you're, you're learning, you're acting out just like the Benedictines do. Uh, you're, you're acting out your faith in a very real way when you come together as people of faith and you work on a garden or you work on a carpenter's bench, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Sam Jennings, a fellow at the Survey Institute. Find out more about them at surveyokc.org. Uh, so I want to I want to push that a little bit further and get you to expound a little bit on. Uh, we're talking about a very tangible project, right? An urban garden. Uh, it serves a couple of needs. One, it serves as a way to feed your immediate community because uh, when harvest time comes, you go and you pick a salad and you take it to your table. You wash it off. You put it. You know, you you cut it up and you put it where it goes. And now you've been a part of that whole chain from putting it in the ground to harvesting it to, to consuming it. So it, it, there's a nourishing aspect of it physically, but you're talking about this as being also a means of practicing faith and of nourishing spirit uh, as well as body. So I want to, I want you to expound on that and unfold that a little bit for us. What does it look like for that physical activity and specifically uh, in this case, an urban garden to be spiritually nourishing? That's a great question. Well, for starters, it's it's part of a larger build that I think is very necessary for us to start thinking of the communities we live in as urban villages. And urban villages can only can only exist if people aren't forced to leave the boundaries mm-hmm. of that urban village uh, more than they have to. And one of the ways you do that is making people be able to provide from themselves for themselves and their families within the boundaries of that village. And so by working the soil, by planting fruit trees, you not only gather people together to have concrete days, Saturday is a set aside day to take care of the garden. And afterwards together, we, we pray the Angelus or we pray Vespers if, if sunlight permits. Uh, you've, you've at once taken a step towards making us more, more reliant on one another, as opposed to, as you put it, these complex food chains, but you've also built in an opportunity to come together and pray together, uh, as, as a part of that experience. So, so by building an urban garden together, uh, in a community, in a neighborhood, you enable people to get to know one another, to be able to provide for themselves, and all the while be able to come together and pray together as a community. There's a certain vulnerability about this as well. Yes. Of, of sitting, uh, well, I was not sitting at all, of standing there with a shovel and with a, a rake and a hoe and a trowel and whatever, whatever else there is, where it comes into clear focus what someone's strengths and weaknesses are. And in the midst of hard work, very often... Um, our, our weaknesses come out, our lack of temperance, our everything else, uh, 
we begin to see one another for who we are and not for the facades that we put up and can maintain pretty well <laughs> when we are, uh, when we're at ease or we're not having to work too hard. Uh, and there's, there's something very vulnerable about spending time working the land with another person that shows not only what the strengths are, but also what the needs are in a way that we can respond to the needs of our neighbor uh, because we see it rather than, oh, well, I'm going to pull in from work. I'm going to wave from my car and lower the garage door and go inside to my air-conditioned home and not see anybody and not interact with anybody. And I'm going to be an island unto myself that that no one else can penetrate. Yeah, that's right. That's that's an interesting point. And in, in fact, uh, one, one of the difficulties can be as the organizer for this gardening project is I'm, I'm not particularly a, a talented gardener myself. And, and so uh, oftentimes I can be in the position of, of buying the fruit trees or buying the basil plant uh, and, and knowing that, that perhaps the scrutiny of, of more green thumbs in my community will, will, be, will be watching that and, and uh, maybe wishing I had done it differently. <laughs> so how many people are currently a part of this urban garden project in North Tulsa? There are about six families, quite a few children. So when we gathered for our first work day that we launched before before the quarantines hit, there were there were about twelve of us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then beyond that, one of the most surprising things to me that started to happen is that the neighbors never met them before before the project started, just started coming out of their houses. And they just started working alongside us. Mm-hmm. People are desperate for that concrete work. And, and it's very much connected to our sense of, of recreation mm-hmm. and leisure. Yeah. Uh, people are desperate to have something they can show um, for, with their leisure time. That this, is, this is something I helped produce. Well, I think even beyond that, I think people are desperate for authentic connection. Right. We, we hide so often behind our social media uh, and we miss the fact. And, and I think one of the things that this pandemic is showing us is just how isolated and lonely some people are. Uh, and we don't notice it because we busy ourselves. And so I can I can only imagine that you see a group of people out there and they're laughing and they're conversing and they're doing work. And it provides the possibility of belonging. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think, something that we desperately need. And hey, here's the thing. There's no absolute blueprint to it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just intellectualize it. I had this idea because I saw this is the way my grandfather, my Italian grandfather, did, and he learned it from his family coming over from Calabria. Mm-hmm. So you only learn it by seeing it. Yeah. And that's how it, that's how it happens. We're talking today with Samuel Jennings, a fellow at the Survey Institute. You can find out more information about this urban garden and the Urban Village Project by going over to surveyokc.org or finding them on Twitter. The handle's at surveyokc. That's S-E-R-V-I-O-K-C. There's much more to my conversation with Sam right after this, including a conversation about how gardening is connected to the creed. It's going to be a great conversation, so don't go anywhere. Be a part of our ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come, so don't go anywhere. 
You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. I always like to tie the show, in my mind at least, back to some tenet of the creed, right? Um, because our faith has implications on the way we live. So we're talking today with Sam Jennings, who is a fellow at the Survey Institute, surveyokc.org, uh, about this urban garden project. So what tenet of the creed can we tie this back to? Well, in my mind, and I would, I would assume in yours as well, Sam, is it's, I believe, in the communion of saints. Oh, wow. The com- well done. The communion of saints is not just our communion with the church triumphant, who's before the throne of God, but we who are journeying towards sainthood, as Paul would say, are members of one another. We are part of the body of Christ, and we have this mystical communion that is more than just our relationship with one another. There is a connection that goes beyond what we ourselves can accomplish through relationship by virtue of our baptism and the fact that we have the same spirit dwelling within us. So in this communion of saints, we are called into community to be together in a way that that we support one another. And so I see the work that you're doing here with this urban garden, with the times of prayer together, with this idea of an urban village is being very much connected to that tenet of the creed. And so just from that one little line, there's all kinds of implications to the way we live our life that many times we, I think, don't consider because we just kind of blow past that line. It's it's in what we consider the epilogue, right? <clears throat> oh, we said, I believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now we got all these other things too. Mm. But really what we have are three sections of the creed, not four. We have the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so the communion of saints, the whole thing about the church, all of that falls within the fact uh, and the belief in the Holy Spirit. So let's talk a little bit about um, the spirit that gives life uh, to us and then our participation with the spirit as we nurture life in this garden. That's right. And it seems pretty clear that the last portion of, our, of that creed, that's the part that has to do with what we're, what, the business that we're all about. Okay? Mm. And so immediately it brings to mind the idea both that as St. Paul said, you know, we, we hold these, this treasure in earthen vessels. And then, and then the idea that, that grace is building on nature. And what, what that tells me is, similar to that wonderful Benedictine creed of Ore Labora, is that you have to find ways to make the daily things you do holy making. Okay? You have to make your work holy. You have to make your prayer holy. And you have to find a way to combine them. And you have to find a way to do it that isn't isolating you either from your family or other families. Now, this is this idea of working in a way that doesn't isolate you from your yourself, your your community, or your family. This is a, something that's largely uh, that many feel is almost impossible these days, um, because everything has been so specialized. Even right now, as we're all uh, in quarantine. Uh, everyone runs to Amazon and Amazon has grown massively during this because they have the infrastructure to be able to 
uh, distribute the things that are needed. But what what you're talking about is bringing that distribution far more local uh, within your own neighborhood to be able to have the things within a community, as I'm understanding you, that can provide for every family within the community just through the community. That's right. At Survey, we have a a term that we we use when we're talking about this, and it's called the the urban village, or you could call it the urban neighborhood. Uh, Urban village, what an urban village is, is a community that's defined by living within the sounds of the church bells for their local local church. And the community, you know it's reached a, a maturing place when most of the people inside that urban village have the opportunity to stay within the boundaries of the village most of the time. Being able to provide for themselves and their families, both in their work and in their leisure and in their prayer is obviously a part of that. And the good thing is that as Catholics, we do have a history of these geographically determined faith communities that while it might not be perfect for everybody is a good place to start for how to build a village where people have the opportunity to build lives of holiness together. So let's talk a little bit about this because you, one of the things you're, you're of course referencing there, the parish structure that you typically, whether you're registered somewhere else or you attend there or not, you belong to canonically the parish that's closest to you or, or the parish in whose boundaries you live. Uh, and so if you, you know, a lot of times they say, oh, well, um, if you want to get your child baptized, you have to, you have to be registered in the parish. Mm. Well, the truth is, um, canonically, you have to register in the parish if you live outside the parish boundaries, but you're automatically a member of the parish in whose boundaries you live. Uh, and so long as you show up and they see your face, it, there's a, a difference in the responsibilities a parish has towards someone who lives in their boundaries versus someone who does not live in their boundaries. Um, but we are a consumerist society for better or for worse. We like to shop around. We like to, to cater to our preferences of, well, I don't like that parish because of the music and I don't like that parish because of the priest and I don't like that parish because of the other. So I'm going to drive, uh, 20 minutes down the road to go to this other parish because it fits me better. And the same thing, let's tie this back to the garden with our food supply. Well, I'm not a real fan of, of that vegetable, and that one's not very pretty. I don't want to eat that one. And we, we have so curated our, um, our diet, both spiritually and physically, well, that sometimes we aren't satisfied with the choices that are presented to us. Same could be said of this urban village idea of uh, the kinds of work that would be available to us within that versus what we would prefer. So at what point do we say... Um, our preferences are a good thing insofar as they can be met. And maybe the other side of it, our preferences have the tendency to lead us to things that are not necessarily the healthiest for our growth and our well-being long-term, both physically and spiritually. Boy, isn't, isn't that the truth? And, and what I can say to that is I, 
I am so grateful that I don't have to make the decision for anybody else about whether this parish or that is appropriate for them and their families. I think everybody listening to this show, you and I can think of families where for one reason or another, another parish home makes sense for them. Oh, absolutely. With, and I'm saying that knowing full well that I'm the one who's driven by those two or three exactly. parishes. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> well, um, so the, then the other thing I, w- I would say is, at least as a thought experiment, mm-hmm. think about what it, what it would look like. Just think, what if I commit myself to the parish closest to me, my neighborhood parish, the one I can hear the church bells to? And if I don't live next to church bells, maybe I should ask why not. And what would happen if I went to church there and started started a garden within the church bells of, of that parish? What, what would happen to my relationship with that parish, with the people in the parish, to my own family, and to my community? And I think people pretty quickly would start to see that for most of us, it's a pretty compelling life vis-a-vis what a lot of us are living now. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Sam Jennings, who's a fellow at the Survey Institute. Find out more about them at surveyokc.org. So let's go back to this Benedictine idea. Um, the The Benedictines, you know, if we get in a tiff with one another, you and me, Sam, um, sure. we can we can look at one another and say, well, that person just pushes my buttons and I can mute you on Twitter so I don't see your tweets come across my feed anymore. And I can distance social distance myself well beyond the need for it, uh, for our health and just say, I'm just going to social distance myself from you because we had a disagreement and I, and I'm not a fan. Uh, the Benedictines don't really have that option. It's like, I have, (laughs) I have dedicated myself to this monastery for my life. And, um, if I don't like you, we're going to have to figure something out because we're living in close confines for the foreseeable future. And, uh, and certainly there's some, some downsides to that. And I'm sure that we would find, uh, some people who would tell us that, but at the same time, when we are forced, uh, to get along or when we are forced to look past the faults of someone else, just by virtue of the fact that they are part of our community or part of our family, uh, there's a certain, purification that happens within us, right? There's a certain uh, knocking off of rough edges of our rough edges that helps us to grow in humility, that helps us to grow in virtue and somehow matures us in that process. That's, that's exactly right. And for me, that, that is one of the strongest indications of why Catholic communities, both schools and parishes and Catholic groups, families, need really, really to push this idea of integrating the liberal and practical arts. Because with the practical arts, we're actually providing for ourselves the raw material to build a life of holiness together. But you do have to find ways to to think through and pray through and, and negotiate yourself through some of these very real human difficulties that are just a part of our, our existence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last couple of questions. We're going to turn sharply to the practical, uh, pra- practical question. Number one, you said that you learned this from watching your grandfather do this. Um, but let's say that someone, and you said there, there's really no other way to learn than by watching it. 
But let's say that someone hears this and it's resonating with them and they say, you know what, I, I, I there's something in that that I want to experience, but they have no example of that in their history. How would you start if you were that person? I would start by growing a garden, no matter how modestly your your lot or your or your situation is as far as the land. Start growing, start a garden on your own, either in a flower bed, if you're in an apartment, get some potted plants. Mm-hmm. And I think once you start doing that, you will both catch the attention of and start noticing people around you doing the same thing. And once you start noticing other people doing the same thing, what do people, common craftsmen do? They get together and they talk shop. Mm-hmm. Well, how's your basil plant doing? How are your tomatoes? Oh, mine are kind of rotten. And what you've started right there in that moment is the process of community gardening, how, how, however small. Yeah. And once once that process begins, it, it only grows. Mm-hmm. Second practical question. You're doing a community garden in North Tulsa. I'm going to assume that you didn't just knock down people's backyard fences and do it in the middle of their, their shared property. <laughs> so what does it look like to do a community garden? How do you acquire the property? How do you determine uh, the, the scope and the range of who's participating and who gets to harvest? And what does this look like to share this endeavor with your community? That's a great question. We were fortunate with the Survey Institute that we had somebody who's deeply connected uh, with with the Survey Institute had a a lovely plot of land next to one of the bike trails through North Tulsa that he was looking to to move on and was looking to do so at at a reasonable rate. So we've actually uh, this weekend will uh, wrap up fundraising for the property. Uh, for for the price of it, so we we really struck it well, and and we're fortunate in Oklahoma that that prices largely are are more reasonable than they are in other places. Yeah. Um, so so we picked up this lot in in a community that historically is is certainly the legacy of the Tulsa Race Massacre, hmm. and um, you know it's it just filled with once again with people. Uh, interestingly enough, who have had deep connections to this neighborhood for decades. Mm-hmm. And, and that underwrites a lot of what I think was that immediate connection with the project from, from the neighbors just coming out and helping us garden and telling us, well, don't plant them there because my aunt had grapes growing there and it didn't work so well. So, so the built-in knowledge of the community just came out um, there. So, so, and that's where I think it's so important. It doesn't matter where you are. I don't think it's a story unique to North Tulsa or South Tulsa or Stillwater where I am now. Mm-hmm. That kind of, that kind of built-in stabilitas is there. Yeah. Last, uh, last question for, for this segment, last practical question. What's your favorite crop? I love the blackberries because they're, <laughs> they treat you so well. Well, and you know, Timothy, you're in the Pacific yeah. Northwest. Uh, you know, they practically rain from the sky here in a month where you are. Um, but in Oklahoma and, and Arkansas, uh, we have these thornless varieties that just reward you. Oh, that's just not, a, that's not fair. I know, uh-huh. I know. Uh, <laughs> they just, they just, you know, you give them a little bit of love 
and they just explode. And then they're just like a wheat and you can't get rid of them. And so it really makes you feel like big shot gardener. Right. Cause look, look how, look how fruitful this is. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Look at me, the green thumb. <laughs> you can't kill them. Not a thing you could do to kill them. Uh, we have this recipe that we make at the house and I don't know if it's, it's fit for the radio, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, every year, because yes, we get bucket. Our backyard is covered in blackberries. I no doubt. And we have, um, we, we make this, uh, vanilla bourbon blackberry jam. Nice. And it is nice. And it's so good that I, I have to share it with you. So I'm going to post the recipe for this <laughs> over on my Patreon. So all those who support the show through Patreon, be looking because I'm going to give you this recipe. It is so good. Uh, and and if you want to be a part of that, just go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that uh, that link in the top right-hand corner of the page that says Patreon, support the show. And as well as all the other extra segments, you're also this week going to get this recipe for the Blackberry Jam. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. It's been such a joy to be with you. God bless you and your family. There's more to my conversation with Sam Jennings available to all those who support the show through Patreon. So in addition to getting the vanilla bourbon blackberry jam recipe, you're also going to get extra conversation with Sam Jennings, as well as the archives of all of our other extra segments. Join that community today. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link. Well, let's go ahead and open up the Verbum Library as we turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and Church History. Our reading from Scripture comes from this coming Wednesday's Gospel, uh, from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You were already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into the fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. That uh, that scripture comes from the Gospel of John. And, you know, growing up, I, I grew up Protestant, and I grew up in a, um, a charismatic tradition that that looked at this and, and took this to mean um, that if you just have enough faith that you can ask for whatever you want and whatever, you, whatever your whims are, whatever your desires are, and, and then God will give it to you because he promised it, so he's obligated. And now I read this much differently than I did then. Same too with a reading out of the Psalms that talks about delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's that same idea that that gets taken to this meaning of God's going to give me what I want. And, And I read that now as saying, if I 
put my delight in God. If I remain in Christ as he remains in me, and I put the effort into remaining, and I look at this picture of remaining in a way like you're holding two magnets together that, that don't want to be together. They're repelling one another, and you push them together and hold them there. That's what it means to remain, that there is an effort in the process of remaining. Remaining is, an, is not a passive thing. It's a very active thing. And so here we are remaining in God. And as we do that, as we remain, as we uh, delight ourselves in the Lord and remain, our, our desires are formed and informed by Christ. And so when it says he will give us the desires of our heart, um, in, in that way, yes, he's going to answer the prayer but he's also going to give us the things to desire. We're going to be molded and formed and shaped by him uh, as we go through the process of actively remaining with him. And so it's not just a matter of our whims. It's a matter of forming our desires and conforming our desires to the will of Christ and the will of God the Father. So I firmly believe that Jesus is telling the truth. And that if we remain in him and his words remain in us, that at that point we can ask for whatever we want and it will be done for us. Not because uh, we have these whims that, want, that we want fulfilled and these desires and, and you know, uh, I, want a, I want a better car. I want the, the sports car. No, no, no. God is forming us as we remain in him so that the things that we ask for will be in conformity with his will. So as I read this today, this gospel, the first question that comes to my mind is this. One, am I actively pursuing Christ? Am I actively, am I going through effort to remain in Christ as he remains in me? Uh, It's not something that just kind of happens that I can set and forget. I have to actually press in just like that magnet and uh, you can't see my hands, but I'm doing the action. You have to press in to the presence of God. The other question that I have is this. Have I been pruned lately? What are the things that God's been pushing and prodding and asking me to give up and give to him and relinquish control of? Because those are the places that Christ wants me to bear more fruit, right? This pruning is something that is for my benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. It's ultimately for my sanctification, yes, but also for the sanctification of the world. Because as I am sanctified, then he can use me more fully and more um, more regularly. And God wants to use us to make his kingdom manifest on earth as it is in heaven. So have I allowed my spirit to be pruned so that it'll be, it will bear more fruit? Or have I resisted when God brings up things that he wants me to look at and wants me to change and wants me to focus on uh, and turn over? And so this is the big question. Yes, the end of it's the exciting part. And he will give you the, the, the desires of your heart. Uh, he will, whatever you ask for, it will be done for you. But before we get there, we have to be pruned. So bring that up to God in your prayer. God, what is it? What is the place that I'm not being as fruitful as you would like? What is the place where you want to prune me? Let it be done to me according to your word. 
Our reading from church history today comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement, and it highlights again that idea that we're part of the communion of the saints, not only with those who are in heaven, but specifically with those who are right around us, that we are dependent upon one another. Beloved, Jesus Christ is our salvation. He is the high priest through whom we present our offerings and the helper who supports us in our weakness. Through him, our gaze penetrates the heights of heaven, and we see as in a mirror the most holy face of God. Through Christ, the eyes of our hearts are opened, and our weak and clouded understanding reaches up toward the light. Through him, the Lord God willed that we should taste eternal knowledge. For Christ is the radiance of God's glory, and as much greater than the angels as the name God has given him is superior to theirs. So then, my brothers, let us do battle with all our might under his unerring command. Think of the men serving under our military commanders, how well disciplined they are, how readily and submissively they carry out orders. Not everyone can be a prefect, a tribune, a centurion, or a captain of fifty, but each man in his own rank executes the orders of the emperor and the officers in command. The great cannot exist without those of humble condition, nor can those of humble condition exist without the great. Always it is the harmonious working together of its various parts that ensures the well-being of the whole. Take our own body as an example. The head is helpless without the feet and the feet can do nothing without the head. Even our least important members are useful and necessary to the whole body, and all work together for its well-being in harmonious subordination. Let us then preserve the unity of the body that we form in Christ Jesus, and let everyone give his neighbor the deference to which his particular gifts entitle him. Let the strong care for the weak, and the weak respect the strong. Let the wealthy assist the poor, and the poor man thank God for giving him someone to supply his needs. The wise man should show his wisdom not by his eloquence, but by good works. The humble man should not proclaim his own humility, but leave others to do so. Nor must the man who preserves his chastity ever boast of it, but recognize that the ability in to control his desires has been given him by another. Think, my brothers, of how we first came into being, of what we were at the first moment of our existence. Think of the dark tomb out of which our Creator brought us into this world, where he had his gifts prepared for us even before we were born. All this we owe to him, and for everything we must give him thanks. To him be glory, forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement of Rome. And the one thing that sticks out to me is this. We each have gifts, and it's up to, to us to discern them, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal them to us. But even more than that, it's up to us to ask the Holy Spirit who is our corollary, who is the beneficiary of that gift, and to whom do we owe the fruits of that gift? So we ask the Holy Spirit to come and give us discernment, 
to prune us so that we can bear more fruit and to give us discernment to share those gifts with our community. That's all the time we have this week. This week's show is brought to you by Joe Robertson. All those who support the show through Patreon, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.